Hi, this is Bill Prater, and welcome to the Business Builder Show, where we feature champions in their respective industries from all over the planet. Our mission is to provide you with timely, provocative, and actionable resources that inspire, promote, and accelerate your quest for business excellence. Today, we're going to talk about why I traveled to Vietnam to launch its first digital bank, and Brian Carroll is going to tell us all about that. Brian is the CEO of, of TNX. TNX is Vietnam's first digital-only micro SME and Gen Z lifestyle banking platform. Brian's a highly experienced practitioner in the areas of digital banking, digital science, digital marketing, information security, and technology architecture. Before founding TNX, he's held several senior roles with many banks, and fintechs, and venture capital companies across Europe, the Middle East, Asia, and North America, including RoboBank International, Alpha Bank Russia, Bank of Ireland, Royal Bank of Scotland Group, and the International Bank of Abu Dhabi. Now, he's currently named number 27 in the top 100 fintech leaders globally by Fintech Magazine, Brian, it's fantastic to have you here with us to explain why in the world you did what you did. So tell us first, who does your digital bank serve? Firstly, thanks for the opportunity, Bill. Much appreciated to tell the story. Uh, Our bank serves fundamentally Gen Z, so Gen Z and millennials, so the youth of Vietnam. But in re- I suppose the, that really brings us back to the purpose and, and, and how I started the journey. I had, an, I had an ambition and a long-held ambition to build a bank at scale that addresses the inclusion agenda. And if we look at Vietnam, Vietnam, a country of about 98 million people, 69% of the country is unbanked or underbanked. And, and if we look within that, if we look at a TAM within that, there are about 17 million people who I'm talking about that we're focusing on. So it's quite exciting. Oh, so let me back up again, ask you to clarify that. 98 million and yep. 70 million fit this. this 17. Uh, 17. Okay, thank you. So 17 million fit this profile. But there's a really interesting, you know, there's really interesting things happening in Vietnam right now. And I think it's important just to put against the backdrop. As I said, very you know large country uh, with an unbanked, underbanked issue, but with a GDP that's growing between 6.5, 6.7%, with a population that spends on average six hours and this last Hootsuite report, 38 minutes a day on digital media. So a digitally recessed nation, a nation that's growing, um, and a very, very young nation. So these were, when I was looking for my next challenge, as I said, I wanted to, to, to fulfill this, this ambition. I think a lot of it was triggered. My wife had, had just recently recovered from a serious illness. And, uh, you know, it, it came down to, you do it now or I'm not going to do it. So I searched, searched and searched and found the beautiful Vietnam. I suppose that, that, that thread I suppose I'll hand back to you on that, Bill. But. So what problems are you solving for this for this group of people you've just identified? What is the principal problem? Well, the principal problem is, that, as we all know, if, you, if a person doesn't have banking, you see it from North America all the way through to Europe, but more, more prominently and more sharply in Asia and, and in emerging economies like Vietnam, 
you know, banking is a gateway to increase prosperity, sustainability, you know, and to have a better future. And in Vietnam, the problem fundamentally was the traditional banks. So if we look at my target segment, my customers, my young customers, typically earn about $3,500 a year. Not a month, a year. And they live, you know, quite good lives on that. But if you're looking at traditional banking with its inbuilt costs, its branches, its, you know, its, its heavy staff operating model, there is no way the, the banks can manufacture and distribute the traditional banks to this segment and make a profit. It's not sustainable. Because, of course, you know, you know, traditional banking, which is based heavily on net interest margin or lending, you know, this segment is not the segment that, that they would successfully deploy their capital without deploying predatory lending rates, rates or, or other methods. Okay. So it's about financial inclusion. It's about the benefits that that brings. And this nation is, is emerging very, very strongly. Um, and, you know, by 2030, we'll, you know, I think the recent HSBC banking report, by 2030, it'll be in the top 10 consumer economies in the world. So that's going wow. past the UK. So there's a massive amount of growth, digitally obsessed nation, very, very young to fuel the growth, very, very innovative and inquisitive, very inquisitive nature about the people. So our problem was to address, you know, to address that. So let me ask you this. So we can understand myself and our listeners, how you go about solving these problems. Maybe you can actually give us sort of a case study. Maybe you can remember one of your customers and, how yeah. they how they came to you and how you uh, set up a solution for them. Kind of walk us through a story hey, or so, a hypothetical example of how you do it. Okay, you know, I think your question is quite interesting because it's asked from a Western mindset. Yeah, of course. And don't work. People in Vietnam in that segment, as bankers, and I'm a, you know, as I say to my staff, I used to be a banker, I'm okay now. But in uh -huh. the past... In the past, you know, banks, you know, we, we had a certain arrogance almost about us that we believed that everyone needed our products. And we asked customers to learn a particular language which was alien to them, alien to them so they could understand our products. We even ran courses to teach people how to speak banking. And if you look at that now in a digital world, that, that perhaps was a little bit arrogant. My customers that I'm targeting at asked, have, you know, have lived for generations very successfully without a bank account. They don't see a value in a bank account. And that's a Western, you know, it's a Western construct banking fundamentally. So that was the big question. You know, when I arrived here, literally with a suitcase and, you know, an idea, I needed to cook it because you can't force fit a product to a market, not successfully. So the first hire was a so was in, in, in my team wasn't a banker, a risk guy, an IT guy, architect. No, it was a psychologist. And the second hire was a sociologist. Much to the amusement of my funders, who were going, "Who's this rather strange, <laughs> old Irish guy? He's meant to be building a bank. Is he actually looking for some psychological maintenance on his own spiritual health?" No, it was of course I wanted to find out emotionally and truthfully why our customers number one not so much didn't even care but why they didn't need <clears throat> and we saw the barriers they were the traditional barriers of 
cost of fees of data privacy of you know i don't want you know people to know my financial situation perhaps from a tax perspective but then we also saw more emotional ones and 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 we started developing you know we started developing ways of talking to them which were a little bit different so i'll give you a, a war story i asked you know, most banks will talk about segments and personas and, you know, segments have to be pretty clear and personas, imaginary people that you, you know, that you detail with attributes and, and we need wants, behaviors. Uh, and then you build a, a user experience or a customer experience around that. I actually asked two of my team to walk down onto the street in Hanoi and just talk to somebody in the public and explain to them what we do with personas. We invent an imaginary person. And the reaction was, you, you know, are you okay? It doesn't make sense. And they came back and they said, no, no, they don't understand that. And I said, I knew they wouldn't understand that. So we need to find languages and, and ways of talking to our customers. And interesting things started to happen. I, I you know, made the bold move that after we spent hundreds of hours with customers, before even writing anything, just detailing, trying to get into the understanding, the emotional behavior, needs and wants, concerns of our customers, I went to a gaming company, that quite a successful gaming company in, in, in Saigon or Ho Chi Minh. And I met the CEO and I said, I want you to build me a UI UX. And he said, but I'm a gaming company. I said, I know. And I, you know, and I want to build a digital banking experience that speaks the language of our customers. <clears throat> so on average, the, the, the segment that I'm addressing, I spent about an hour and 15 minutes playing games every day. Okay, so they understand that language, they understand that interaction. But what what we also saw was, and I know, and I'm sure, Bill, you 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 you're seeing this time after time that people are talking about embedded banking. We're seeing, you know, products like BNPL, all of these products. You know, some of them quite scary, I suppose, if, if we're not careful. But it's about being able to embed banking into a customer's lives. And this is the fundamental pivot we're seeing in banking. And we're seeing, you know, we're seeing this emerge from the early days of embedding payments into the likes of an Uber or BMPL. And, you know, so the last few days, what Apple are, doing, are beginning to do in that space, accelerate in that space. So in, in Teenex, remember, in Vietnam, there wasn't a lot of digital talent, you know. So, you know, I've trained my 118 employees from data science to marketing. Well, we all speak in the same language and we all live in the same culture. And we talk what about what's called second part of the banking, a second part of the sentence banking, which is key to us. And what's key in that is nobody in the history of mankind, I don't care if they live in Oregon, Portland, Portland, Oregon, or Hanoi, Vietnam, has ever said, I need a loan full stop. It's actually the meaning is in the second part of the sentence. So our banking experience, we've built against that. But we've gone further. So when you log on to TNX, we ask you how you feel. And why do you feel like this? Do you eat well? Yes, we care because I run the bank by happiness index. I want to know how happy my customers are. And because, you know, our happy customers, customers want to feel special. And you've got to treat them in that way. And you measure that. You know, I ask them, how happy are you? How's your life? You can track your physical health through my app, your mental health. We link that to leaderboards where, you know, you can, you know, we reward you for good physical health, mental health, financial health. We have also provided a marketplace. So the first 
uh, a digital marketplace for micro SMEs. So everyone goes, well, why did you do that? I said, because my customers who are in 3,500 bucks a, a year don't shop in the big shops and the, the high brand places. They shop, you know, and if you've ever had the pleasure to, to, to visit Vietnam, and I would encourage everyone to come, but this isn't a tourist show. The whole industry in, in, in Vietnam is built around small shops with no street funds in front, people cooking on the street, repair your watch. You know, you can repair your watch, get your hair cut, and, and buy a book, you know, in the space of two, you know, two or three meters. And my population and my, and my dear customers live in that ecosystem. But that ecosystem isn't digital. So what we've done is we've also created for those micro SMEs the ability to go digital. They download the app. And I was with one of my customers the other day. She's a 69-year-old woman. She cooks soup on a fire, on an open fire. And her soup is amazing. I mean, she's, you know, I go and... and sit on the little stool and, you know, destroy the Vietnamese language with my attempts. And what she's very proud of is she takes out her phone and she shows me the website because we ought to build her a real-time website. And she shows me, look, I've had a digital order. And we built, of course, a payments network underneath that a closed loop because they can't afford margin erosion. These merchants typically earn about 50,000 bucks maximum revenue per annum. <clears throat> so they're micro, micro and cash-based businesses. So to sum up, after all our, our interviews, and we use you know, our data science, you know, we recognize as one of the most digitally advanced financial platforms in Asia now, but that's all pretty irrelevant. They're just tools, okay? But what we've done is we built in the middle of Tnex is our hero product, our banking. But around that, we've surrounded it with services and eco, I suppose, let's be clear on ecosystem. It's everything you need to live your life in biology and procreate but in in our world it's everything that we've matched our customers actual lifestyle needs and embedded banking under that and banking only appears when you need it okay so unlike a traditional bank where you download it your your checking account and your balances and your payments you know when you come on to tnx besides being blown away by a gaming experience because we did that on purpose so we could interact and speak the language of our customers and get them included um we also try to help you holistically with your life and it's been hugely successful. So we see you can enter our into the Teenex world either as a you know to come in and track your health and, and track your money management. We built our own chat channel, you know, so rid not an actual equivalent to WhatsApp or Zalo in Asia, where our customers actually communicate. And the reason I did that was of course community is hugely important. And they can also create communities. They can pay, they can do P2P message, uh, payments, they can pay to their friends. They're going to create groups and interest groups and continually underpinning our world with, with, with social interaction. Last night, we launched a, a platform which kind of also, I think, uh, I've failed so many times in trying to be over-innovative, okay? Sometimes I innovate away. And I've learned over the years that most of what really works in digital was already there in physical. And it's a how do you actually find these key things in life and make them better by applying digital? So, you know, across Vietnam, every office and every team in every office pools together money for lunch every day. It's across all of Vietnam. Every football team every has it. Every sports team, every book reading club has this. But no one has ever bothered to digitize it. 
So we've actually, for example, noticed that both through our research with our customers. And as I say, one hour with your customers is worth a million dollars with any consulting company. They're telling us what we need. So we're trying to fill in those gaps and trying to support customers in a way that's highly personalized using seriously advanced data science. And of course, sustainable because we will hit a million customers. We're about a year live now as TNX. We'll hit a million customers in the next two weeks. And we, we're looking at unit economics, which are unheard of in this region, where we'll be currently able to serve a customer from, from onboarding all the way through the process on an annual basis for $1.50. And that goes down to $1. So if you think about, you know, you think about the fact that a lot of the digital banks are struggling across the world because they spend a lot of money to acquire customers. We're now, we've now acquired all of our customers at a blended cost of $2.50. That's unheard of in a cost of acquisition, you know, where in the, in the US and Europe, you're talking hundreds of dollars in the end for that CAC. Where here, you know, we, we found because our customers like our products, they come. We're now getting unbanked people. We've got a, a 7.6 referral rate, which is unheard of. So people who were previously not unbanked liking what we're trying to do, we're referring 7.6 on average of their friends. So we're the most unusual bank I've perhaps, you know, and, and a lot of it, you know, it came, came from also the culture within Teenex. That's how, that's how it's vibrant. So banking is no longer about technology. You know, I built two banks in nine months. Now, unheard of in the past because of the technology. Now with cloud modularization, you know, design patterns are available. Secu- you know, security techniques are, are readily available. And it's and technique's not a lot about money because if it was, most of the traditional banks across the world would be, you know, there would be it would have been no need for fintech. Let's put it that way. There would have been no gap. It's fundamentally about culture. And you know, if I if I you know when I I sit on various uh, bodies and boards across the world and you know i don't know how many times i've said the one liability or the one thing we need to deleverage from the balance sheet is the old culture or the ego so in teenex we're quite simple and that that platform i told you that we we put live last night actually went into the stores as another one of our another one of our platforms in the circle actually was a young junior AK, ekyc analyst came to me with the idea because the whole of Teenex is running a culture called best idea must win. And I don't care who's in it. But in an Asian culture, it has to be the most senior guy. Okay. Because of course, the culture here is quite command and control. And obviously now FinTech is challenging that. And a command and control is very good in traditional banking where you take in deposits cheap, you lend them out, you make your margin. But if you're trying to continually interact with customers, you have to bring in this culture because that triggers innovation. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think finally, what we're seeing across the world, and I, mean, I see it in, in, in the US, and I see it across in Latin America, is that now we, now we can fundamentally say that traditional everyday banking is, is now commodities. It's a commodity. There is no difference. It's become commodity, commoditized. So it doesn't matter if you're, you're sitting with you know, a tier one bank or a tier two or a tier three, you're pretty much seeing the same services. And like all commodities, of course, be it water, oil, it's always going to come down to the lowest price. And then you're going to have to pay your customers to differentiate or give up margin. So that was another reason. You know, I can't afford to just give away money. Or as I say to my head of CX, 
I can build the biggest bank in the world tomorrow. I just give everyone a million dollars if they join. But it's not exactly a sustainable business model and not driving an engagement pattern going forward. But unfortunately, I used hyperbole there, but that's traditionally what a lot of the banks are doing in the digital space. They get lots of funding and they just fill the customer's boots with, with, with offers, cashbacks or whatever. I can't do that. I run a sustainable business. I had to, I had to win on experience. I had to win on loyalty. And in order to do that, my team have had to work really, really hard, you know, to get, you know, customer intimacy and trust is, is, and remember they're big banks here, you know, it was, you know, crazy Irish guy, you know, obviously funding was hard here. But we also operate on on one last principle, which I, I would really encourage your, your your loyal user base, which is be frugal. And if you look at you know if you look at you know, generations in the U.S. and and the generations in Europe or across the world, the times of great creativity were the times of great hardship. Why? Because people had to find ways no. to no. or had to find ways to be happy. That didn't involve sitting on your mobile phone for six hours and 38 minutes, as the case is here. So our team has run very frugally. So people are saying, you know, why don't you overfund? I said, I will never overfund, you know. And now it's interesting on the on the culture side, like nine out of 10 times, you know, somebody will come to me on my team, Brian, we need to do this. I said, no, we don't. Find a way that is better, cheaper and faster. And I know, and that used to be a flippant comment. I'm sure you experienced it. But nine out of 10 times they find it because they had to go and innovate. And the one out of 10 are giving. But is this consistent? Best idea must win. Trust in your, in trust in failure as a learning. And that's why GeneX is where it is. That's why, you know, we are one of the most successful growing banks in Southeast Asia now. And we're doing it in a way that's unheard of. You know, I'm, they actually call me grandfather in the office. I don't hire bankers. Because, not because they're bad people, because they, they're very hard to reprogram from a risk perspective. I typically hire young people. Uh, my average age of my staff is 24.3 years old. So they call me grandfather or Vietnamese, which I don't like, <laughs> but they continue to do it out of affection. I don't hire foreigners because it's a bank for Vietnamese people. So as I say, it's a, a bank for young Vietnamese people, actually built by young Vietnamese people. Okay, so not by well-dressed consulting companies from third parties or by me. You know, I will never truly understand the culture of Vietnam. I'm married to my wife 25 years from from Spain and I speak Spanish, but I will never truly get the culture because I'm not native. So, but everything is gravitating around the secret sauce for digital is get the culture right for the delivery and the manufacture and banking. You really got to understand that you're now reaching the point where you're a service that linear customer journeys are no longer going to pay the bills in the, in the, in the, in the, in the medium to long term. that you have to now become relevant in a customer's life or else you will become like electricity and a kettle, you know, you'll be the electricity, you know, you, who cares, you know, as long as the kettle boils. Well, I mean, you make a great point. So uh, I understand uh, certainly the appeal of your bank. Congratulations on how fast you've been growing. 
So what were the milestones? Take us through the, through the journey, Brian, of how you came up with the idea, specifically why Vietnam, and then maybe maybe you've had a couple of stumbles along the way, and tell us about those as well. So a couple, three, four milestones and one or two mistakes you made that you learned from. As was the story, you know, as I said, I arrived in Vietnam. Why? Because I looked at the fundamentals of the country, as I said before. A young, digitally obsessed population, an economy that's rapidly growing, a high level of urbanization, a, and an actual need right now for digitally delivered financial solutions. Remember, Vietnam is a geographically long country and it's very, you know, and, and mountainous and, and difficult to serve with traditional banking. And of course, a population that doesn't make enough money to merit attention from a traditional banking model, which requires, you know, to defend its own shareholders. So, you know, a lot of Teenex came from probably the first month of me wandering the streets. I'm sorry, I, I, I could give you some other answer. Yeah, we did. No, it was actually a lot of it was wandering the streets of Hanoi and Ho Chi Minh. I just wandered and I sat down and I watched and I watched because I had, you know, I knew I wanted to build the first digital only bank in Vietnam. I knew that it was needed. But that's okay. It was pretty obvious. They were they were quantitative things, you know, that anybody could look up. It was, you know, looking at the qualitative things and the engagement way, that, that's the difference. So as they say, a fool with a tool is still a fool. But, you know, <laughs> I, knew I had to find what, what exactly I was going to do with this digital tool that I built or was about to build. So, you know... The lady, I, you know, I, I remember sitting down, the street culture here and street food here, of course, is, is a huge part of life here, everyday life. And I remember sitting down at a street stall with literally a you know, tiny little stool and, you know, various insects running by you, et cetera, you know, but the food's great. And I just watched what was happening. I wanted to see the social interaction. So what I saw was unbanked merchants, unbanked uh, consumers chatting. I saw fun. I saw vibrancy. But there was no digital element in that. <clears throat> so it was that, you know, the customer's ecosystem. So what I mean is, you know, as I said, ecosystems, everything you need to live your lives. And I'm saying, well, you know, banking, there's plenty of banks. You know, you can join a bank here. No one's stopping you. But why isn't it happening? And you could see this is Gen Z land. This is young, young country. And this is a generation that's hugely misunderstood by, <clears throat> yeah, I suppose people like me who, who've been a long time in banking. There has to be a new way to engage. It has to be embedded in their life. It has to be fun. It has to be relevant. It has to be active. You know, you know, if TikTok was developed by a banker, I don't think they'd have many users, customers. So it has to actually become relevant. And, and you know, and it has to exude passion. Well, we also find it has to exude your values, you know, we're now moving into a world where purpose-driven businesses and value-driven businesses, actually, we're going back to the future here, you know, you know, in, in, in the communities and the community banking and community stores of, of, of the past, but they were purpose-driven. They served a purpose and the purpose didn't start with P&L or balance sheet. It started with customer and, and we are going back to that. And I think it's quite an exciting you know, an exciting time that, you know, we can deliver these personalized experiences at scale now. 
per, you know, because of the digital revolution that we're experiencing, but we're purpose driven. So our values reflect. I am public about this. I will never do anything to hurt these people. So there are many ways I could make money. I will never do anything that knowingly hurts an underserved population. They need our support and our help. And if you're purpose driven, you know, you engender loyalty. It's good business to be purpose driven. Our mm -hmm. values are very, very clear. You know, we're in Vietnam and I'm publishing the carbon footprint of the bank, which every traditional banker thinks I'm stark raving insane. But my customers and me and having young daughters, you know, this is a huge part of my life. You know, how do we sustainably run the bank? We are probably the lowest carbon footprint bank in Asia now. And because my team are also the same age as my customers, they're driving those values as well. So, you know, Brian, we're going to push this data out onto this storage. Why? Because it's cheaper and it uses less carbon. I'm going. I love it. So it's all about values and it's all about culture. So, you know, as I say to the team, treat each other like you want to treat the customer. And we, we will have a very successful business, you know, and, and it's hard work, you know, like building digital banks is not easy. Anyone who says anyone, you know, as I came here with a long, long head of hair, you know, two and a half, three years ago. No, I didn't. No. The Lord blessed me with a perfect head before I came here on the rest. He put hair, as I explained to my wife, but it's hard work. And it's about intensive, always relinking your customer, not just through data science, which we can do, but always interacting. We have right to the CEO program. So on average, I get 156, 157 emails a week. And this is gold. But I have to answer every single one of them because my values and I have to listen. So it's hard work. It comes into values, clear purpose, being open and honest. Gen Z. You cannot fake sincerity with Gen Z. They have too much information. They can find out if you really are saying what you're saying. Because, of course, they've access to all of this data. You know, in, in, in this world where, you know, you and I used to have to buy encyclopedias. And I remember my, you know, my access to knowledge was, but my dad stopped buying them after M. Remember the A, B, C, D? So I've actually no knowledge of life beyond M. So imagine he, had, imagine he had balled past M where I'd be. Okay. So hopefully I'm giving you a flavor. You know, oh, you are indeed. it's about, it's continually cooking. The idea has got to cook. You've got to, you've got to care. You've got to show a heart. You, you've got to execute. You've got to fail. You've got to build people that, that, that believe in those values. And, you know, even though it's hard work, I'll, I'll finish them and say that it's definitely changed me as a human being for the positive. So digital, I'm, I'm one of these people that scream from the mountaintops or maybe one of these lunatics in the desert shouting that, you know, digital can do dramatically positive things for society if properly deployed with the right. So I know you just released a new platform last night, but what's holding you back right now? What's your next challenge? I think the next challenge is talent. Because we open. It's the big, big problem from, from you know, downtown, downtown Bay Area to Timbuktu. It's getting, getting access to the right talent. Now, because the world is consuming it quicker than we're generating. So what I did 
you know, I had, I had to face up to it, you know, I'm running a business, I'm funding, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to run it sustainably. And I tried and tried and tried. I just couldn't find the talent. Even if I, even if I could have paid the eye-watering salaries. So I had to grow my own. So literally everybody in there, a large part of the last few years, I've been very lucky to work from both as a, in business and in technology throughout the years. I was one of those lunatics walking around pre.com in California. They were fun days. And what a failure. What a great time we had. But it's about training. It's about training the staff not to think differently. Actually, think the way you are because you're my customers. You're innovating. But giving them the access to the, the techniques, the tools. But it's getting good. And we built up a critical mass now. So we're taking in people. And we're training them. And the only way that the only way you ever really get into trouble at Teenex is if you're disrespectful on a culture basis. And 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 that's creating customer stickiness. You know, what was the old joke? You never leave the CIA. Well, you don't leave Teenex because you don't want to, probably for other reasons. But we, we're seeing a lot of loyalty from our, our staff. So that's the biggest one. And I think if you asked any if you asked anyone hand on heart, you know, usual answer, security or these are always their guys. That's just hygiene. Okay? Security, scalability, non-functional. No, no. The secret sauce in digital is human. Okay? And that's people. And preferably that have experience. But if not, I suppose my, my staff are only 24 years old. You know. No. Unless they, unless they were, unless they were deep diving in digital technology at the age of four, you know, it's very hard to get twenty years experience. But it's people, 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 people. All right, thanks for that. So, how can our listeners get a hold of you guys, uh, Brian? We're, we're, you can get hold of me on LinkedIn. You can get, you know, you can get hold of me by email as well. For those of you who want to email, I really do enjoy email. Brian, Brian PC. Uh, Papa Charlie, Brian PC at tnex.com vn, or just get me through LinkedIn, which I'm quite active. dot com dot vn dot com dot vn. And okay. also, and, and please do not hesitate to reach out because you know I would not have been able to build Tnex if it wasn't for the network of fintech advisors and friends that I built up over the years. And the network model is is, and all my friends have helped me, you know are the reason that we were able to launch this quite spectacular experience for, for young people in Vietnam. So finally, what's the question that maybe you were waiting for me to ask you, Brian, but I didn't. So what's the question and what's the answer to that unasked question? Yeah, I'm probably going to say, you know, what's a delightful man like you doing in banking? No, but let's, let's be open and honest. How do you make money? You know, how are you going to be profitable? I think that's the elephant in the room. We see the funding challenges and the revaluation of, of companies across the world at the moment with the current challenges. I suppose I'll answer it then as well. This is, this is actually like being with my wife. She answers and answers to the question. Ask and answer. Sorry. Very simple. In a model, digital model, you're actually going to make a profit in digital sense, not digital $100 bills. So it's about frequency of usage and it's about engagement again, about having something compelling, differentiated and relevant. And, you know, we, you know, we are earning digital sense, but we're getting many interactions. 
And I suppose if you look at the traditional business models of the cost and the income jobs, it can be different in, in digital if you get it right. Mm-hmm. Our costs, our unit costs go down as we scale dramatically. Unit costs do not go down typically in traditional. They reach a saturation point and then they jump up again. They reach a saturation because they work on, on, on human operate, human driven operating models or business processes. Okay. So we will hit pro, we will break even in July 2025. We're down to that level of management and we're trending very positively. That'll be the latest date, but it's about buying loyalty, not looking for quick wins and monetizing in a fair and open way your interactions with the customers. And there'll be some really exciting things coming out next and uh, in Q1 next year, which I think will will push us up towards the five, six, seven million customers. But I can't tell you, Bill, because I'd have to shoot you. So, but when they do happen, I'll send you an email. But we have some beautiful, really- beautiful, beautiful. All right. Well, thank you very much, sir. That was fin- that was what a fantastic story. When we uh, when we finish up with our recording, I'm going to give you some another little story from Pakistan, which I think you'll like. So, in closing, everybody, let's focus on a single fact, and that is, and Brian hit this really hard. Businesses do not become extraordinary in a single moment. Instead, they get there as a result of the owners. First learning and then applying a proven combination of having the right mindset of a dedication to a system of management and number three, leveraging high performance teams. So thanks for listening. Brian, once again, thanks for sharing your time with us today, sir. Thank you so much, Bill. It really, really has been a pleasure.